Let me follow up with you, President Trump. You've demanded schools open in person and insist they can do it safely. But just yesterday, Boston became the latest city to move its public school system entirely online after a coronavirus spike. What is your message to parents who worry that sending their children to school will endanger not only their kids, but also their teachers and okay. families? I want to open the schools. Uh, the transmittal rate to the teachers is uh, very small. But I want to open the schools. We have to open our country. We're not going to have a country. You can't do this. We can't keep this country closed. This is a massive country with a massive economy. People are losing their jobs. They're committing suicide. There's depression, alcohol, drugs at a level that nobody's ever seen before. There's abuse, tremendous abuse. We have to open our country. You know, I've said it often. The cure cannot be worse than the problem itself. Okay, Nashua, what do you make of that? Well... He's hitting everything that he hit with talking about the opioid crisis. Right. Um, when Hillary wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, That's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a big, it's a big problem, right? It's a, it's a big problem because like what he just said there about suicide, uh, depression and alcoholism is like a hundred percent true. Granted, like his prescriptions are like whatever to just like let sacrifice 5% of the population or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, I like, I just think he's like, he's going to hit the people who are impacted by those things. I, it resonated with me. me too. I was like, yeah, those are the communities I care about. Like, for sure. The, the communities. I mean, those are like literally the things I'm fucking dealing with. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting that Biden's campaign hasn't learned from like Hillary's loss when like Trump, he may have not had a better plan for people who are addicted to substances or the opioid crisis, right. but he named it. Yeah. And like, that's the big difference. Biden doesn't name those things in the same way. Yeah. I think Biden is, is basically he's offering like, well, I would say that whereas Trump, Trump's promises to bring back America to the 1950s, um, Joe Biden's promises to bring back America to 2010. Uh, and I don't think, I think that like of those two messages, I'm, I'm not sure which one's more inspiring, but it kind of makes me, it kind of makes me sad that this is the debate that we're having at this point. Yeah. How did you, how did you feel about, um, his take on, on teachers and online schooling? And <laughs> I mean, he doesn't understand how like viruses work, um, at all. Like, but like the, you know, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah, you have to come up with like a long term solution to the coronavirus crisis um, that isn't just going to involve total, total isolation. Like that's obviously unsustainable. It's just basically basically about like calculated um, and like very deliberate mitigation strategies. Right. Um, you know what we've seen, like at least in Minnesota, and I'm sure it's different from state to state. But like at this point, you know, uh, some businesses, um, they have. They have like their 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 uh, their storefronts open, um, and it's sort of like social distancing, stickers on the floor, and like you get your stuff and go. But at the same time, there's still like restaurants and bars that are just open. And like to me, it's like whatever you're talking about with schools. Like I think the schools should be careful because like kids are obviously just like vectors for disease. Um, but I would also say that like you know in situations where um, a kid is gonna potentially be fucked up for the rest of their life because 
you know, they were isolated during a super important time developmentally. I would say that like, yeah, maybe we should like accommodate those kids, right? Like let's have some pods, mm-hmm. let's do some stuff. Um, but, but, but Trump's, Trump's philosophy about coronavirus, which is basically just like pretend it doesn't exist and the economy will do fine and everyone will like me, uh, is obviously just a complete disaster and also just absolutely murderous, right? You're talking about killing hundreds of thousands of Americans. Yeah. And his, um, I think somewhere in that segment is when he was like, my son Baron had it. And he's doing fine. <laughs> and his Chad Baron like pride shine through. Um, but he's not getting that like many have it and they don't do fine. And it's like, as an example, I have a young son. He also tested positive. By the time I spoke to the doctor the second time, he was fine. Young people, I guess it's their immune system. So I, my reaction to that and the reason I think it's funny is because like Trump himself gave coronavirus to like dozens of people. <laughs> so like the, the the whole like Baron being fine after two doctor visits thing is a moot point because the fact is, is that Trump, not a child, doesn't have such a good immune system, got coronavirus. And even though he, you know, ostensibly got better, he infected dozens of other top Republicans, which is like one of the biggest self owns in American history, but also is the whole point when we're talking about these schools, right? It's not that we're worried about kids getting sick and dying. We're getting worried about kids getting their parents sick or like there's, you know, their grandma sick and those people dying, right? Like that's how diseases work. You can spread coronavirus without being symptomatic. Didn't his brother die from Corona? Donald Trump's? Yeah. Am I wrong? Oh, his I brother recently died in this like last four months. I feel like he has a loved one who died. Robert Trump died August 15th, 2020. Let's see his cause of death. I swear it's coronavirus or old age. Inter, intrace, wait, intracerebral hemorrhaging after a fall. Okay, never mind. But, but you like, know, I feel but like you RBG know, definitely do, died from Corona and they don't want to say it. You know, what these doctors, what they do, you, you take a fall, you get an intracerebral <laughs> hemorrhage. They say, oh, it's a comorbidity. He died of COVID. And that's why the numbers yeah. are so high, folks. It's a ghost town. Okay, so there's this, seg- there's this big segment of the debate where they're arguing where coronavirus is causing the most impact. Um, and it's basically Biden pointing fingers at the red states and uh, Trump pointing fingers at the, the, the big cities with Democrat mayors, folks. Take a look at New York and what's happened to my wonderful city for, for so many years. I loved it. It was vibrant. It's dying. Everyone's leaving New York. Take a look Vice at President what New Biden. York has done in terms of the, turning the curve down in terms of the number of people dying. And I don't look at this in terms of the way he does. Blue states and red states. They're all the United States. They're all and the look United at the states. states that are having such a spike in the coronavirus. They're the red states. Okay, so pay, pay no mind to the fact that Biden, um, you know, is very on brand by ripping somebody else off. Uh, and specifically his, uh, his uh, brother, uh, Barack Obama, who famously said, there's no red America, blue America. There's the United States of America. And in his 2004 uh, DNC speech, which is like, how he came to national prom- prominence and like ultimately like what put him on Which the path. Which is like a Marshall Gann speech. Right. But the funny thing is, is it's just like, yeah. I mean, if, like it's, you're his vice president. Like you hear that, like for me, I like immediately know that he's ripping off Barack Obama. So it's like not even any degrees of separation, but I don't know, Nashua, this whole conversation, um, you know, Joe Biden goes from saying that he doesn't see it as red states and blue states and then goes to talk about how the red states are fucking up. And for me, the whole conversation about like, 
where is coronavirus a big problem? It strikes me as completely tone deaf because like ultimately we all live in either like we all live in some place where coronavirus has like affected us. And like these two old men arguing over like whether it's Democrats or Republicans who are like perpetuating this time of crisis and uncertainty, like to me just completely misses the mark. Like the only thing Biden should be talking about, which he does in a little bit to his credit, is the fact that Trump completely botched the coronavirus response because he didn't want the numbers to be too high. Yeah. And um, I think there was a part in here where Trump started talking about like masks again. Did he really? Yeah. Where he was saying like Biden would make people wear masks or something or Biden was saying I would make people wear masks like he there was a part in there. And I was just like, I I don't like obviously masks matter. And like it, it obviously um, stops transference. But at the same time, it's like can you like sign another stimulus check or something or like, right. <laughs> or like, can you do what Ireland did and like private hospitals can become not private during a pandemic? Oh my gosh. No, that would never happen in America. <laughs> yeah. Even if it was, even if it was half the cost for twice as much healthcare, they would be like, no, we'll, we'll pay the, we'll pay the full price to keep, to make sure we don't give anybody any ideas about healthcare. This is not going to be a problem. Uh, I think he's a Democrat, but that's okay. He said, this is not going to be a problem. We are not going to have a problem at all. When Joe says that I said, Anthony Fauci said, and others, and many others, and I'm not knocking him a lot. Nobody knew. Look, nobody knew what this thing was. Nobody knew where it was coming from, what it was. We've learned a lot. But Anthony said, don't wear masks. Now he wants to wear masks. Anthony also said, if you look back, exact words, here's his exact words. This is no problem. This is going to go away soon. So he's allowed to make mistakes. He happens to be a good person. Yeah. So my reaction to that is basically that we know Trump knew that the coronavirus uh, was serious and that it was airborne and that transmitted through the air in Trump's word words um, way before he said anything publicly because of a conversation he had with Bob Woodward, um, where, you know, thanks, Bob Woodward, for not telling anybody that when it could have potentially saved hundreds of thousands of lives. But we know you have books to sell. Ultimately, we know that Trump uh was behind the scenes telling a literal author who was biographying him uh, that he knows coronavirus is serious, that it's deadly and through the air, uh, while he was still telling the American people, uh, don't do anything, just go about your life like completely normal and one day it'll disappear. Um, and, and that's what he was saying, so... Yeah. And blaming China and blaming China, which, by the way, like, I don't know if, what the case in Wuhan is, but like, don't they have it? Like, <laughs> they, pretty they seem fine. They have it pretty much contained. So like the idea that like yeah. nobody knew what the coronavirus was or like how to deal with it. Like, I'm sorry. Obviously, like a lot like big parts of like the civilized world uh, obviously knew how to deal with coronavirus a little bit better than we did. All right. We're going to move on to our next section, which is national security. And I do want to start with the security of our elections and some breaking news from overnight. Just last night, top intelligence officials confirmed again that both Russia and Iran are working to influence this election. Both countries have obtained U.S. voter registration information, these officials say, and Iran sent intimidating messages to Florida voters. Okay, so they're about to talk about this clip that came out a day ago um, with the FBI presser on Iran. <laughs> we have already seen Iran sending spoofed emails designed to intimidate voters, incite social unrest, and damage President Trump. You may have seen some reporting on this in the last 24 hours, or you may have even been one of the recipients of those emails. Additionally, Iran is distributing other content to include a video 
that implies that individuals could cast fraudulent ballots, even from overseas. This video and any claims about such allegedly fraud, fraudulent ballots are not true. These actions are desperate attempts by desperate adversaries. Even if the adversaries pursue further attempts to intimidate or attempt to undermine voter confidence, know that our election systems are resilient and you can be confident your votes are secure. Okay, so full disclosure, we were talking about this before they brought it up at the debate. And this was a topic yeah. that we wanted to cover. Um, because I'm not going to lie, when I, when I first saw that and then read the headline that Iran was sending spoofed em- emails as the Proud Boys uh, to try to damage President Trump, my bullshit radar went to like about a, a, a 11 out of 10. Um, and I am laying down this as a marker that I think that that's not true. I don't think that's what happened at all. Well, apparently it happened to people in Florida, my home state. And I'm like, like, why would these guys, why would these dudes just only email Floridians? Like out of, I don't know, it just all sounds fake. On this question of Iran interfering, I think the thing that I said to you, Nashua, earlier was that like just the absurdity of picturing like Rouhani in a room with like top Iranian hackers and uh, U.S. analysts trying to figure out how they're going to, they're going to throw this election um, to Biden from, from Trump, which is like the top line from the FBI is that this was an effort to uh, to hurt Donald Trump in the election and that what they came up with was we're going to we're going to email Floridian voters as Proud Boys threatening Democratic voters, threatening that if they vote for Joe Biden or against Trump, that we're going to come and hurt them in some way. And the Iranians are saying we're going to do that knowing we'll get caught. So that way, it'll make the Proud Boys look bad, which will make Trump look bad, thus hurting Donald Trump's chances in helping Biden, as opposed to just accidentally just intimidating those voters out of voting for Joe Biden to begin with. Like, to me, that's just completely absurd. This is like layered. It's not only layered, it's like a little... It didn't happen. It's just fake. Uh, yeah, well, like, did it, I don't know if you saw it, but I saw somebody, I think, post one of these alleged emails. I don't know. But that's all like, I'm not going to trust anybody on the Internet with stuff like that. But I don't know. I just also Joe Biden called the Proud Boys the poor boys today. I don't know. I <laughs> I think um, that could be an accident. But yeah, I just think it's to kind of scare us from Iran again in the general American public. Absolutely. And, and also just like you know, to, to spin that story towards Trump when I think that most people understand that if there's foreign election interference um, by Russia, it's probably not, it's probably to help Trump not hurt him. Um, but I think that like, I don't know, we talked about how this is just like fodder for just like the MSNBC brain and like, you know, the whole Russia story mm-hmm. and, and stuff. But according to my mom, apparently even Matt, I was skeptical of this whole, this whole idea that oh, Iran, really? yeah, that that she didn't quite buy it, and I don't either. It's completely far fetched. I mean, what we have to, what people have to remember is that, like, in the whole U.S. Iran standoff, they're the ones who show like um, that they're rational and restrained, and we're the fucking maniacs. And like, I think that like yeah. maybe that's something that we would do, but I, I just like I do not see Iran um, if they were trying to to hurt Donald Trump um, doing some type of election interference like that, right? I mean, it's just like so much room to backfire. 
Like what, what would, what would they be trying to accomplish? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty easy to figure out too, but I thought Maddo would have like Russiagate brain on this. I'm sure she did. Maddo. Yeah. I, I'm surprised actually. I mean, it could have been Russia. Like it could have been Russia uh, trying to interfere to, to help Trump and then try to like push it onto Iran. That strikes me as more plausible than the idea that Iran is trying to help uh, Joe Biden in that just like insane of a way. Um, but um, you know, what we have to remember, and I think that like, this is like one of these lessons that I've taken away from just like, you know, 40 years of these national security state guys going from being sort of like, you know, representative of kind of like the darker parts of living in an empire. And we're sort of suspicious of them. We know that they told lies that got us involved in these different wars. Um, and just through Donald Trump's ascendance, they have been completely uh, rehabilitated into these sort of like heroic figures of the resistance. And to me, like the Iran, like they have that social capital. Mm -hmm. And it's clear to me that like there's people in that apparatus that want to march to war with Iran. And like, I just don't think that anybody who considers himself left wing or even liberal should take that shit at face value or just trust the intelligence community on those questions at all. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think it like... I will see how this story pans out over the next week or two weeks leading up to the election. I wonder if there will be more press conferences at a high level about it or Trump will talk about it. Right. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I think it's just another like, let's scare people about Russia and Iran. Definitely. So now they're going to move on and talk about the Affordable Care Act and health care. Over 20 million Americans get their health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. It's headed to the Supreme Court, and your administration, Mr. President, is advocating for the court to overturn it. If the Supreme Court does overturn that law, those 20 million Americans could lose their health insurance almost overnight. So what would you do if those people have their health insurance taken away? You have two minutes uninterrupted. Sure. First of all, I've already done something that nobody thought was possible. Through the legislature, I terminated the individual mandate. That is the worst part of Obamacare, as we call it. The individual mandate where you have to pay a fortune for the privilege of not having to pay for bad health insurance. I terminated. It's gone. Now it's in court because Obamacare is no good. But then I made a decision. Run it as well as you can to my people, great people. Run it as well as you can. I could have gone the other route and made everybody very unhappy. They ran it. He's just lying. I, like, but I'm he sorry. does this thing that like where he convinces you that he did the better thing and that what existed was bad before and that he was right and righteous. And he just has this shameless confidence. Like, I, I know he's ignorant and like lying, but yeah. I'm just kind of like, how do you get up there and just do it? He's referring <laughs> to a specific thing he came under fire for, which is his administration sabotaging Obamacare using some type of like administrative um power that they have about like it was something about like reinsurance or something just like super wonky that I can't remember but people were essentially saying for a long time that Trump is trying to drive Obamacare into the ground so that he can repeal it so like the whole point about him saying like oh I ran it super well and I could have done the other thing and it would have made people not happy it's just like um that's what he's referring to he's referring to being criticized for like him trying to like sabotage Obamacare and being called out for it but the thing is is it's like He's so incoherent in terms of what he's talking about that I just like after like I know that that's what he's talking about because I've been listening to this fucker for three years and know what his goddamn psychology is. And that's it. <laughs> and I can connect it to like vague memories of the past. But like 
No one's going to no one's going to call him out for that boldface lie. Not the moderator, not Joe Biden. Well, Joe Biden can't follow. Right. Like he can't follow. There's multiple moments where he's not following. I don't know why people are saying he was sharp. Right. No, he was not sharp. (laughs) (laughs) What we'd like to do is terminate it. We have the individual mandate done. I don't know that it's going to work. If we don't win, we will have to run it and we'll have Obamacare, but it'll be better run. But it no longer is Obamacare because without the individual mandate, it's much different. Pre-existing conditions will always stay. What I would like to do is a much better health care, much better, will always protect people with pre-existing. So I'd like to terminate Obamacare, come up with a brand new, beautiful health care. The Democrats will do it because there'll be tremendous pressure on them, and we might even have the House by that time. And I think we're going to win the House, okay? You'll see, but I think we're going to win the House. Not going to happen. They're not going to have the House. (laughs) (laughs) Always protecting people with pre-existing conditions. And one thing very important, we have 180 million people out there that have great private health care. Far more than we're talking about with Obamacare. Joe Biden is going to terminate all of those policies. These are people that love their health care. People that have been successful, middle-income people, been successful. They have 180 million plans, 180 million people, families. Under what he wants to do, which will basically be socialized medicine, he won't even have a choice. If only that were true, Nashua. If only that were true. Okay, Biden's going to say something really funny, I think, if this is the part I think it is. (laughs) They want to terminate 180 million plans. We have done an incredible job on health care, and we're going to do even better. Okay, Vice President Biden, yes, this is for you. Your health care plan calls for building on Obamacare. So my question is, what is your plan if the law is ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court? You have two minutes uninterrupted. What I'm going to do is pass Obamacare with a public option become Biden care. Biden care. If you, in fact, do not have the wherewithal to be, if you qualify for Medicaid and you do not have the wherewithal in your state to get Medicaid, you automatically are enrolled, providing competition for insurance companies. That's what's going to happen. Secondly, we're going to make sure we reduce the premiums and reduce drug prices by making sure that there's competition that doesn't exist now by allowing the Medicare to negotiate drug prices with the insurance companies. All right. Reaction. Wait, to that? What's that? What the hell is Biden care? Like, like you said earlier, he's just building off Obama. Like yeah. he can't even get original with any of this. And then also what's the public option, which is something you said earlier too. Like yeah. what, like, no, I mean, we talked about this last time and last time we were, we were talking about it and we, and I was bringing up something about um, the first debate and how I thought that um, that Biden was misquoting his own policy, but he's doubling down on it, basically saying that, He's going to do a public option. And what the public option is going to be is an opportunity for folks who qualify for Medicaid, who don't have access to Medicaid to have access to a public option. But I'm sorry, Medicaid for folks who qualify for Medicaid is not a public option. A public option is like when you as a private citizen have the option of instead of going to a private insurance company, buying into like a Medicaid program or a Medicare program. So like calling it a public option is completely asinine. And also it's weak policy. Medicaid for people who qualify for Medicaid is like essentially the same as saying like, we're going to do nothing. (laughs) We're not going to change a fucking thing. Well, do you remember when the governor of, um, I think it's Kentucky during like after the murder of George Floyd put out a thing that he was going to 
get like the 50,000 people or something that are not signed up for Medicaid signed up in his state. Mm. Um, and he was going to focus on um, black people because of because black social determinants of health, mm. obviously impacting like quality of life and right. lifespan. And I just remember um, people pointing out like, dude, like this shouldn't be because of uprisings. Like these people actually qualify for Medicaid. It's right. just like the all the steps and paperwork. And so like, you're right. Like what what's he giving? He's just getting people who aren't signed up, signed up. Right. Is that what it's going to be? Yeah, it's just it's just like basically saying that you're going to more fully implement the Affordable Care Law because like the whole which the whole, already exists. Yeah, they, but like the Affordable Care Act, um, like the, a big part of it was like the Medicaid expansion, right? And like not not all states took Medicaid expansion. So it sounds like he's just saying like, oh yeah, that was a pretty big flaw, and the ACA was states having the ability to not take Medicaid expansion, and we're going to do something about that. But like that. To me, that's like that. That's not very reassuring because, like, the the cost of healthcare has still gone up and up and up, and like that's the problem. You know what I mean? It's not just like under insurance. It's also that like Americans are paying too much for healthcare, and like a big part of why you do something like uh, Medicare for All system is not just to make sure that everybody gets it. It's also so then you can just determine what costs the state is going to pay without being totally mm-hmm. beholden to these like you know, healthcare executives and hospitals and doctors who have just been getting rich bankrupting us because we got sick. And, and like, that's despicable, right? And like, no other country, it's like that. But what Biden's talking about is no different from what it is now. Yeah, but also, okay, maybe I'm ignorant to this because I'm, I've been living in Canada for like a decade now. But what, like, what does he mean when he says that drug companies or Medicare or Medicaid would be able to negotiate with drug companies? Yeah, I think I think um, uh, Medicare is statutorily prohibited from negotiating drug prices um, with pharma. And so like that's been like kind of a I mean, that's that's been like a policy that people have talked about doing in America for a long time. Like and, and you know, wait for, for at least the last like eight years. Um, and and it yeah, actually when Bernie is, came to Canada to right. buy insulin with a group of people. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's like my, my, I don't have a problem with that at all. My problem is just like the scope, right? You know, it's like, it's not at this point, it's like, you know, all, all of these problems have continued to get worse. And like, you know, the, the, the cost of prescription drugs is a huge problem, but I just like, I don't, first of all, I, I like, they're going to fight tooth and nail to stop a policy, like allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription drugs, almost as hard as they would fight Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. Like, because they, because, because that's what the, the healthcare industry does. And like, that's their role in Congress and in Washington. So like, if you're going to fight for different healthcare outcomes, go all in. And then maybe if you fail, you'll still end up with something better, but going for these just like tweaks and these sort of like neoliberal, you know, policy initiatives like it would be great but the problem is is that when that's your starting point you end up with something like the ACA mm-hmm. right remember the original ACA had a public option in it yeah like if the if the original ACA had been medicare for all maybe we could have ended up with a public option you know but but we ended up negotiating um down to like you know an act which basically all it, all it really did was, other than expanding medicaid was was like provide patient protections and like those patient protections protections are good um, you know, protecting people with pre-existing conditions, protecting 25 year olds like me, like letting me stay on my parents' insurance, but they didn't make healthcare any more affordable. Mm-hmm. It didn't even really slow the increasing cost of healthcare. And like, that's, that's still a giant 
a giant monkey on our back as a country is is that the cost of healthcare? Yeah, and I think there was a poll that happened. I'm forgetting the date, but there was a major poll that happened where it illustrated that the majority of Americans want something like Canada, mm. which is a socialized medical system. Yeah. But then if you go further into this debate, I'm pretty sure there's like a stab at socialized medicine. For sure. The idea that I want to eliminate private insurance, the reason why I had such a fight for with 20 candidates for the nomination was I support private insurance. Like, who is this appealing to? Uh, the suburban moms. Who is this appealing to? Who is this appealing to? I don't know. Folks with folks with great health care. Yeah, he's basically saying, like, I fought Bernie Sanders because who else in the 20 candidate landscape was for socialized medicine in a full way? I mean, like, arguably Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren, but she spent her entire campaign walking back her original support for Medicare for all. Yeah. Um, You know, Nashua, we've talked about this before. Like for me, healthcare is 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 a winning policy. Mm -hmm. It's more of a winning policy than even talking about dealing with climate change. Like. And, and the reason that the Democrats did so well in 2018, I think, is largely attributable to their messaging on the Affordable Care Act and, like, health care. And, like, for me, um, if, if we had a candidate uh, and their top line was single-payer health care, like, a.k.a. socialized medicine, I guarantee you, by election day, it would be pulling at, at least 60%, if not 65, 70%. Especially during this pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. What empl- employee, employer-based health insurance? Gee, where, how could that ever go people wrong? People are jobless. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, people are jobless. Like, this would have been a moment for that. But Joe Biden, I don't know why he always has to punch left. It's, it's because, it's because he, he thinks that he is going to contest Trump for moderates. And that's been their campaign strategy this entire time. The good news is, is there's record-breaking early voting. So, like, the fact is, is, like, I think that a record-breaking number of people are going to vote, and I think Trump's going to lose. But it's going to not be because people liked Biden. It's just going to be because... They don't like Trump. Trump is such a disaster. Like, he's, he's like, you know, it was, it was in, in 16, it was like, what could this guy be like? Could he be, you know, he'd shake things up, you know, and all this shit. But, like, I mean, sorry, after Donald Trump personally gave like 45 famous people coronavirus, I think his chances of winning an election in this country basically went to zero. And I've, I hope I'm right about that because I'm going to be I'm going to be embarrassed if I'm like, oh, shoot, fool me once with Hillary, fool me twice with with Joe Biden. But I, I, you I don't know. know. <laughs> I think he I think he could maybe win. Right. I'm not saying he he will, but I think the possibilities there. Yeah, I mean, um, We'll just have to see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But the I think I think high early vote numbers um, are bode well for Joe Biden because I think that like high early voting numbers um, will mean like obviously some people who are voting early are people who would have otherwise voted on election day. But also in in my like experience, high early vote does also correlate with high turnout overall. Mm-hmm. And I think that like if that's the case. Like if people who maybe didn't vote for Hillary because they kind of were like, I don't really like her and I'm not really that invested in this election. Um, if they like said, OK, I have to vote this time and did it like D- Donald Trump's going to lose. Mm-hmm. Like there's no there's no ma- there's no it's first of all, first things first, there's a zero percent chance that Donald Trump wins the popular vote, a zero percent chance. Yeah, yeah. He didn't win it last time. His, his chances of winning the Electoral College are unfortunately non-zero, but I still think they're pretty low because mm-hmm. he would have to 
the, the only thing is, is that like Biden doesn't have to um, pick up any new states. He doesn't have to pick up Florida. He only has to hold the map that Hillary had in Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania. And I'm just like, I find it hard to believe that Trump is doing well in any of those states. Yeah, you're right. I think so. I I don't picture Trump doing well in any of those. Trump does do very well in Florida, but we know that. Yeah, but even in Florida, well in my state, even in Florida, he's got problems because he has essentially told those people that they can fucking die yeah. and that they can die <laughs> for the stock market and for his ben- rich benefactors and friends and for 401ks. And like Biden does really well with old people. It's actually a great demo for Biden. I, I actually think he could maybe um, he's definitely going to pick up more uh, more uh, votes from old people uh, than like Hillary got in Florida and retirement communities and stuff mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of reasons. Well, he's their pair, right? <laughs> He's their brethren. Right. Uh, we'll continue. <laughs> I'm just picturing like in a nursing home in like uh, in, Boca Raton, yeah, in Florida, Bo- in Boca Raton, and and somebody's just saying like, you know, I, re- willing, to, willing to give this, willing to give this 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 young guy, this young scamp Joe Biden a chance. Like, <laughs> we're going to talk about immigration now, gentlemen, and we're going to talk about families within this context. Mr. President, your administration separated children from their parents at the border. At least four thousand kids. You've since reversed your zero-tolerance policy, but the United States can't locate the parents of more than 500 children. So how will these families ever be reunited? Children are brought here by coyotes and lots of bad people, cartels, and they're brought here, and they used to use them to get into our country. We now have as strong a border as we've ever had. We're over 400 miles of brand new wall. You see the numbers. And we let people in, but they have to come in legally, and they come in through But marriage. how will you reunite these just tell kids you, with their families, let me just tell you, Mr. President? They built cages. You know, they used to say, I built the cages. And then they had a picture in a certain newspaper. And it was a picture of these horrible cages. And they said, look at these cages. President Trump built them. And then it was determined they were built in 2014. That was him. So unfortunately, Donald Trump is right. Yeah, yeah. Which you and I were texting about. I I kept being like, "Ah, he's correct. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the problem with trying to do this like um, this sort of like liberal pro- um, you know, national security, uh, state pro tight borders, pro tough on crime thing is that like, you know, it, 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 it's like the handmaiden of fascism. Right. And like, I don't, I honestly, like, I, I don't have like a whole lot of patience for people that say that like, like, Oh, when, when we talk about family separation under Trump, they'd be like, Oh, Obama did it too. Because it's like those pop, those policies did escalate under Trump and like got more heinous. And like, you know, with the principal difference being like, um, separating people for the crime of uh, crossing the border as opposed to like for crossing the border and then like also being implicated in um, other crimes. And like, granted, like, I think that like the Obama um, uh, immigration policy is like a grotesque and I don't support it. But I also think that like, um, you know, anyone finding themselves in a situation um, where they are either overstaying a visa or they're, they're an undocumented immigrant or they're in America as a non-citizen, I think would unequivocally be better off under a Biden administration than a, another four years of Trump. Like that, that to me is true. But, but the fact is, is that Trump is hundred percent right. Um, that, uh, those cages were, were built by the Obama administration. 
Well, also then I think he goes into catch and release, right? I think the bigger issue is that Biden, whenever Biden and Biden supporters and Biden kind of does this and thing, they act like brand new, like this is brand new. Right. This is brand new information. And I think the stronger stance, in my opinion, would be to be like, yeah, yeah, that did happen. However, it has accelerated under you. Right. And or, or yeah. Definitely. Do you they have a plan cages. to reunite the kids? Yes, we're working families? on it very, we're, we're trying very hard. But a lot of these kids come out without the parents. They come over through cartels and through coyotes and through gangs. Coyotes. I don't think coyotes are bringing those kids. Yeah. I think their parents are bringing them. For sure. These 500 plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. Bay, real tough. We're really strong. And guess what? They cannot, it's not coyotes didn't bring them over. Their parents were with them. They got separated from their parents. And it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation. That would have been a really great point for Biden to have made if he was like two, not or, Joe Biden. two or three times as talented of an orator. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like I can deliver that line with more, uh, Import. Charisma. <laughs> not even not just, just charisma. Like I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to like uh, flatter myself a little bit. I'm just saying it's like how like to me like the, the, talking about family separation, like almost makes me like well up. You know what I mean? Like it's just like one of the most disgusting things that we're all gonna have to live with for the rest of our lives uh, in American history. And it also has the potential to like motivate people in the same way that like tear jerking about abortion motivates the right. Like I, I really do think that like. We should be a lot more graphic about uh, U.S.-Mexico border policy um, because the things that we're doing in that context are absolutely crimes against humanity. And I, I, and I think that we would pick people up um, by forcing them to realize that. Kristen, they did it. We changed the policy. Your response they to that? They did it. We, we changed. did not They built the cages. The, they, who, who built the cages, let's, Joe? Let's talk about what who we're built talking the cages, about. Joe? Let's talk about what we're talking about. What happened? Parents were ripped, their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 of sets of those parents and those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. It's criminal. Let me ask Kristen, you about I will say this. They went down. We brought reporters, everything. They are so well taken care of. They're in facilities that were so clean. But some of them have haven't been reunited. Good. But just ask. Trump cannot help himself but betray how much of just like a total um, I don't think he's like the most frothing like racist psychopath in his administration. I think that that's somebody like Stephen Miller. But I think that like he can't help but like make it about himself and his own ego and like what he's doing well. And so like even in the context of family separation, he can't help but be like, we did such a good job. Those kids, they had the nicest cages. They were very clean, very, very, you know, very cozy. <laughs> the nicest cages. They wanted for nothing oh except for their fucking parents. Like, it's, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> but also it's like, yeah, like the ICE story just broke, like what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago about women having forced hysterectomies yeah, and ICE detention. Like, I like don't give a shit if those places are spotless. Like, clearly the kids are going through some type of similar abuses right. and that has been exposed multiple times. The catch and release. You know what he's talking about there? If in fact you had a family came across and they were arrested they, in fact, were given a date to show up for their hearing. They were released. And guess what? They showed up for a hearing. And this is the first president in the history of the United States of America that's anybody seeking asylum has to do it in another country. That's never happened before in America. 
That's never happened before in America. You come to the United States and you make your case that I seek asylum based on the following on the following premise, why I deserve it under American law. They're sitting in squalor on the other side of the river. President Trump, your response, uh, so 30 important. seconds, and then we'll move It on. just shows that he has no understanding of immigration or the laws. Catch and release is a disaster. A murderer would come in, a rapist would come in, a very bad person would come in. Well, we're full circle, because I don't know if you remember in 16, Trump's announcement, the thing that caught everyone's attention right away was he said, Mexico's not sending their best people. They're bringing drugs, they're murderers, they're rapists, and some I assume are good people. And he's bringing, he's, it's, it's back to the, uh, the greatest hits. But that signals a certain base, right? Yeah. That um, signals a certain base. Yeah, the, 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 the neo-Nazi base. <laughs> well, yeah. not even his neo-Nazi base. The people that have just like, are either like, are, are, are straight up white supremacists or they are just like woefully ignorant about um, the actual threat on the border. Because like, in my opinion, like the whole border security thing um, is just a giant con. Like even when Democrats do it, it's like, board, like the, the U.S.-Mexico border poses no threat to even like alter anyone's life. And like the idea that like securing that is like a top priority for American national security is just a grift. It's like it's like there's contractors who profit from that. There's politicians who get elected from selling that message. But like, you know, building a wall, it was like building it was like building a monument. Right. And like that's what that's why that was popular, even though everybody knows that a wall is like the, the, the silliest way to try to like keep immigrants out, like because of planes and boats. Like, I don't know. I just like don't like I don't like seeing people Republican or Democrat like playing into this narrative that like the border security question is like even a real question of American national security. Well, even like Morocco has like a few walls in this like these two parts of land that are technically considered Spain, where once you get there, you can seek asylum. People find ways to get over and under the walls. Right. Absolutely. People are innovative. Right. (laughs) It's a symbol. You're right. It just sim- it just symbolizes something that like signals to like you're right, like a racist base, um, xenophobic base that like they're protected or something. Yeah, I mean, and people who have who have le- legitimately just bought into this idea that um, MS13 is coming to like you know uh, stage a home invasion at their property, right? And like you know, it could be you, it could be any day now. Like if if you're buying into that, I get why you would, um, I get why you would like want to to hear somebody with like a a real comprehensive response. But like the fact is, is like MS-13 is not coming for you. You're not special. I remember there was one point there, there was one point where like there was the caravan um, and somebody, somebody said that they were concerned because they have a lake house in Minnesota. They were concerned that the people in the caravan were going to come and uh, just take over their lake house while they weren't there. And it's like, are you okay? Like, (laughs) it's like, are you, are you like, like, do you need do you need to talk to someone like that's not going to happen? Well, there were Canadians who were freaking out because of um the third party, third, third safe country agreement. Right. So, like, if somehow a Mexican person crosses from Mexico, crosses the Rio Grande and then gets gets to Texas or something and then makes their way up to Canada and claims Canada first, then Canada is going to get overwhelmed with these people who are no longer claiming in the United States because of Donald Trump. Right. And so a bunch of Canadians who are like, oh, but we have so many 
good social, like we have such a good social safety net, quote unquote. It's not that great. And they were just like, they're going to come and do this. They're going to all come because of Trump. And um, because um, under Trump, Haitian people also started getting deported, right? Who came. um, And so in the Montreal border, that was the same discussion. And it's like, one, like, what's the percentage that they're going to add to the population of Canada? And like also like to like who's realistically going to cross from Mexico and make it all the way up right. to our border because Donald Trump. I mean, and if they do, like they're probably like desperately need help. Yeah. Good for them. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing is it's like I think America, it's maybe a little bit of American exceptional exceptionalism to believe that people want to come here as opposed to like staying in their actual homeland. Like the conditions that come up that cause people to like leave their homeland and go to a foreign country that does not welcome them are like ter- like things that none of us have ever had to deal with or will ever have to deal with. Like like the the level of just like danger or extreme poverty or like fear of like, you know, whatever uh things happening to you or your family. It's like I I, I think that like you know, we have such like a rose rosy view of America, but like why would anyone want to come here unless it was their absolute last choice? And like no offense, but same for Canada. Yeah. 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 And like live in squalor the first few years and like live like very precariously and undocumented and like Right. And work like really awful labor jobs. For sure. We would take their name, we have to release them into our country. And then you say they come back. Less than one percent of the people come back. We have to send ICE out and Border Patrol out to find them. Trump is absolutely lying. But the confidence, Uh, (laughs) unfortunately, completely lying. When you say they come back, they don't come back, Joe. They never come back. Only the really, I hate to say this, but those with the lowest IQ, they might come back. Okay, President Trump. I skipped my asylum hearing because I'm smart. (laughs) This was the funniest part of this entire, not the funniest, but like, what? The lowest IQ come back? He's basically like... This is like a come down skit. It really, <laughs> the first time I heard it, I thought he was, I actually thought it was just him saying like the ones who are coming here are the low IQ ones and was just making a straight up white, white nationalist point. But actually he's, it's actually, it's actually less bad than I thought. What she's saying is like, if you came here and you got a hearing, why would you you'd have to be stupid to show up for it when you could just stay anyway? <laughs> it's like actually a lot less offensive. <laughs> Because like, that's what oh, he would the, do. The honor system. That's what he like, would the do. The honor system. That's what Trump would do. Like he's uh, like the dummies follow the honor system. <laughs> right. It's like why would I pay taxes? I don't pay taxes because I'm smart. <laughs> why would I pay my contractors? What are they going to do? Sue me? Yeah. Like maybe one in ten of them sues me, but the other nine, I just don't have to pay. It's because I'm smart. <laughs> so next things next, these guys are going to talk about the issue of race in America. And it's pretty cringy, just a lot of concern trolling and Donald Trump comparing himself to Abraham Lincoln, uh, you know, everything that you'd expect. Uh, but uh, I wanted to skip ahead to this part where the moderator confronts Trump on his previous past kind of racist behavior. You've shared a video of a man chanting white power to millions of your supporters. You've said that black professional athletes exercising their First Amendment rights should be fired. What do you say to Americans who say that kind of language from a president is contributing to a climate of hate and racial strife? Well, you have to understand, the first time I ever heard of Black Lives Matter, they were chanting pigs in a blanket, talking about police. Pigs, pigs, talking about our police. Pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. 
I said, that's a horrible thing. That's, that's horrible. That just like erases um, Muslim people from the movement uh, to, to uh, fight the police. Yeah, can't eat eggs. It's just so funny that like he makes jokes, but like no one can like understand like a metaphor or joke right. when it's like police. No, but he can't understand it. He's just smart. It's meant to be transgressive. Like yeah. the number of people who are like, fuck you, pig. The ratio of people who have ever said that to the number of people who have ever like killed a cop is like 400 million to one. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, it's just like, how do you, what do you, what can you do to like a just straight up mon- like a, a force that just like has a monopoly of power and is actively abusing it? You can like insult them and like attack their like basic sense of self worth. And like, I don't, I don't necessarily like know if that's like a good strategy or not, but like I sure as hell understand it. Like power, power, like what, what does a powerless person do, but chant like, you know, fuck you pig. Yeah. And it's like, it's like funny. Like what, would they be okay with like them saying something else? No, I don't think so. But anyways, yeah. Pigs in a blanket. I think it's cute. (laughs) And that was my first uh, glimpse of black lives matter. I thought it was a terrible thing. As far as uh, my relationships with all people, I think I have great relationships with all people. I am the least racist person in this room. What is he saying about all the other people in the room? <laughs> that they're racist. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's so funny. And they say racial slurs all the time. That's what he's saying. Yeah, again, it's just weird to evaluate your own relationship to racism in that way. Oh, <laughs> it gets even better. It gets even better. What do you say to Americans who are concerned by that rhetoric? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say. I got criminal justice reform done and prison reform and opportunity zones. I took care of black colleges and universities. I don't know what to say. They can say anything. I mean, they can say anything. It's a very it makes me sad because I am I, I am the least racist person i can't even see the audience because it's so dark <laughs> but i don't care who's in the audience i'm the least racist person in this, this is room. the best part this is the best <laughs> like one of the best parts i can't even see the audience he has moved around and made everything worse across the board he says to the, about the poor boys last time we were on stage here he said i told him to stand down and stand ready come on it was that's not what he said. He said, stand back and stand by, not stand down and stand ready. And the poor boys. Oh, man, Biden can't get anything right. This guy is a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. So after Joe Biden uh, lands that banger, the race section goes on for a while, um, but it gets kind of boring. So I think that we should move on to the climate change section. You both have very different visions on climate change. President Trump, you say that environmental regulations have hurt jobs in the energy sector. Vice President Biden, you have said you see addressing climate change as an opportunity to create new jobs. For each of you, how would you both combat climate change and support job growth at the same time? Starting with you, President Trump, you have two minutes uninterrupted. So uh, we have the Trillion Trees program. We have so many different programs. I do love the environment, but what I want is the cleanest crystal clear water, the cleanest air. We have the best lowest number in carbon emissions, which is a big standard that I notice Obama goes with all the time. Not Joe. I haven't heard Joe use the term because I'm not sure he knows what it represents or means, but I have heard Obama use it. And we have the best 
carbon emission numbers that we've had in 35 years under this administration. We are working so well with industry, but here's what we can't do. Look at China, how filthy it is. Look at Russia. Look at India. It's filthy. The, the air is filthy. The Paris Accord, I took us out because we were going to have to spend trillions of dollars and we were treated very unfairly. When they put us in there, they did us a great disservice. Vice President Biden, two minutes to you uninterrupted. Climate change and climate warming, the global warming is an existential threat to humanity. We have a moral obligation to deal with it. And we're told by all the leading scientists in the world, we don't have much time. See, I honestly, like, I, I agree with Biden and I agree with Chomsky on this issue. But my, my problem is it's like, for all this rhetoric about um, climate change being like a, the, you know, the, the moral humanitarian crisis of our time. Like, imagine if you were at war and running for president, like most of what you would talk about would be the war. And like, I get that, like, they have to talk about COVID and they have to talk about police brutality. but like. For, for me, it's like, why isn't climate change like a way more central part about this race? When to me, it's like, it's, it's actually maybe one of like most substantive things that would change between, uh, uh, between Trump and Biden. And not that Biden's plan would be sufficient, but that Trump is just like actively hostile to the, to the idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what you think. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I once we listen to Biden a little bit more, I have a fact check for him because he goes into a personal parable again. That's actually factually incorrect. But I do agree that like it's a little bit weird that climate's always almost the last part of every debate. Right. Um, and it's very they're giving like two minutes each um, at this point. And then they give like a little bit for rebuttal. But also that they're, it's not a central part of anybody's campaign. And I wonder if it's because they think the general American public doesn't care about climate change. Yeah, I think they're wrong. Like, like yeah. but it's like all it's about the signals you send too. Cause I think that like a lot of people do believe that climate change is like this existential crisis. But, but like if you're using that language of like it's an existential crisis, but then just like decentering it, it's like almost like, oh, there's just, he's just exaggerating or like he's lying. I don't know. And like I've heard people like even like Brianna Joy Gray poo pooing the idea of climate change as like a first order issue for like Americans. And I'm just like, it, I mean, we haven't been talking about it as a first order issue. Granted, this year has been like insane. And like there's been COVID, which is basically a microcosm of climate change in terms of like a, a, a crisis we have to collectively deal with. But like, I mean, I mean, truly, like if, if it is an existential crisis and it's going to be it's like life or death and it's like, a you know, we need a World War Two style mobilization to combat it. And that's pretty much the I don't want to say the only thing we should be talking about. It should be a lot more central. Yeah. And I think. I think it's a little bit weird that um, even people who work in anti-racism, which I do, don't think about climate change more because of how connected it is like to climate justice and the disproportionate impacts to like cash poor people of color who live in certain communities, which Biden's going to start talking about the community he grew up in and this river. That's actually he's going to lie. Um, but yeah, it's it's true. Like if you are kind of anti-racist or strive to be an anti-racist or fight for racial justice, climate change should be on the top of your agenda. Right. Give me a break. This plan was um, this is plans endorsed by every major, every major environmental group and every labor group, labor because they know the future lies. The future lies in us being able to breathe. And they know there are good jobs in getting us there. And by the way, the fastest growing industry in America are, is, is, is the electric, the, uh, excuse me, uh, solar energy 
and wind. He thinks wind causes cancer, windmills. It's the fastest growing jobs, and they pay good prevailing wages, 45, 50 bucks an hour. We can grow and we can be cleaner if we go the route I'm proposing. President Trump, Excuse me. please we respond, energy, and then I have to follow We are follow energy up. independent for the first time. Um, we don't need all of these countries that we had to fight war over because we needed their energy. We are energy independent. I know more about wind than you do. Oh. It's extremely expensive, kills all the birds. It's very intermittent. It's got a lot of problems. And they happen to make the windmills in both Germany and China. And the fumes coming up, if you're a believer in carbon emission, the fumes coming up to make, make these massive windmills is more than anything that we're talking about with natural gas, which it's is unhinged. very clean. One other thing. Find me a scientist solar. Say that. I love solar, but solar doesn't quite have it yet. It's not powerful yet to, to really run our big, beautiful factories that we need. President Trump, people of color are much more likely to live near oil refineries and chemical plants. In Texas, there are families who worry the plants near Here them are making them sick. Your administration has rolled back regulations on these kinds of facilities. Why should these families give you another four years in office? Uh, the families that we're talking about are employed heavily, and they are making a lot of money, more money than they've ever made. If you look at the kind of numbers that we produce for Hispanic, for Black, for Asian, it's nine times greater the percentage gain than it was under in three years than it was under eight years of the two of them to put it nicely. <laughs> to put it nicely. <laughs> yeah, right. And everybody has very inexpensive gasoline. Remember Vice that. President Biden, your response, and then we're going to have a final question for both of you. My response is that those people live on what they call fence lines. He doesn't understand this. They live near chemical plants that, in fact, pollute chemical plants and oil plants and refineries that pollute. I used to live near that when I was growing up in Claymont, Delaware. And all the more oil refineries in Marcus Hook and the Delaware River than there is any place, including in Houston at the time. When my mom get in the car and when, when there were first frost to drive me to school, turn in the windshield wiper, there'd be an oil slick in the window. That's why so many people in my state were dying and getting cancer. The fact is those frontline communities, it doesn't matter what you're paying them. It matters how you keep them safe. What do you do? And you impose restrictions on the pollutions that it, the pollutants coming out of those fence line communities like like okay so like uh, clearly biden starts to stumble because we're 90 minutes in yeah but beyond that like he wasn't that's not to dismiss that community but that's like this fifth most polluted river in america he's like oh, the most polluted blah, blah blah which is like back to like biden's whole like he thinks no one reads or anything because i knew right away because i read a book a poetry book about the worst river, which is in Worcester, Massachusetts. But also Oof. you have Trump. It's Worcester. Sorry? It's not Worcester, it's Worcester. Oh, Worcester. Oh. <laughs> the, the Worcester Canadian people will get ignorance. mad at you. <laughs> They'll get mad at you. Because they like, I remember that like uh that was a mistake that uh uh what's his name made? Uh Kennedy made. And it's like people oh. like, oh no, like uh or maybe it wasn't Kennedy, maybe it was yeah, no, it was Kennedy. Anyway. Okay, well, the dirtiest, the dirtiest river in America is Worcester and people, the rates of cancer are awful. And um, it's, it's Blackstone River. And I knew that from reading a poetry book in like undergrad, mm. like literally a poetry book. So like for Biden to be like me, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, my friend right away messaged me. And she was like, mm, the river that he lived near is like the sixth or seventh dirtiest river. Like, so I don't know why Biden does this thing where he always says he had the worst or the best, but um. Trump is smart. He like talks about the rate of pay people get per hour. He talks about 
like these these things that people care about in the now, right? Then Biden just goes into personal story again. There was an oil slick on the car when I'd wake up. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't think people care about that. Like, why don't you just name a community right now that's suffering right. in general and like zoom out right. of your own personal experience? Because Trump is able to zoom out of his personal experiences and just talk about like working people yeah. as bad as it sounds. And he's talking and he starts talking about black and Latinx people doing well. And like, I don't know, especially if those people, <laughs> the scary thing is like a lot of those people in lieu of like a, a real contrast message. It's like you wonder how many people he's going to pick up over time. You know, like there's the whole save the children thing and like QAnon adjacent type stuff. And like that, that stuff's like arguably becoming more popular among communities of color. Like and that's only like, a, you know, a hair's breadth away from just being like, actually, Trump is the good guy. And like all these deep state Dems are the bad guys. Yeah. And so like you have like one person answering in a way that's like, yeah, these communities are doing economically well in those areas. And like this is happening, this is happening. And then people are getting fumes from the windmills. Then you have Biden being like, let me tell you another story about me and my childhood. Right. And it's like, bro, like one, like, yeah, a lot of people have those childhoods right now that are significantly worse Two, the question was about uh, black communities. And like probably you could have just talked about Chemical Valley or something. Like, I don't know how he fumbles this. I, I just don't know. There's like answers that are so much better. It might be like a, mu- a mnemonic device because he's it's easier for him to remember st- things from his personal experience than um, like facts and like factoids, you know? Yeah, but like, I don't know. I just thought it was wild for him to be like, I live near the dirtiest river. And I'm like, no, you didn't. I knew it right <laughs> as you said it. Right. That is funny. But we can keep going. There's one more question left. All right. As you said, it's 90 minutes long. I'm like, 90 minutes? It hasn't been like four hours. Yeah, it feels like that. And this first question does go to you, President Trump. Imagine this is your inauguration day. What will you say in your address to to Americans who did not vote for you? You'll each have one minute, starting with you, Mr. We have to make a country totally successful, as it was prior to the plague coming in from China. Now we're rebuilding it, and we're doing record numbers, 11.4 million jobs in a short period of time, et cetera. But I will tell you, go back. Before the plague came in, just before, I was getting calls from people that were not normally people that would call me. They wanted to get together. We had the best black unemployment numbers in the history of our country. Hispanic, women, Asian, People with diplomas, with no diplomas, MIT graduates, number one in the class, everybody had the best numbers. And you know what? The other side wanted to get together. They wanted to unify. Success is going to bring us together. We are on the road to success. But I'm cutting taxes, and he wants to raise everybody's taxes, and he wants to put new regulations on everything. He will kill it. If he gets in, you will have a depression, the likes of which you've never seen. Your 401ks will go to hell, and it'll be a very, very sad day for this country. All right. Vice President Biden, same question to you. What will you say during your inaugural address to Americans who did not vote for you? I will say I'm an American president. I represent all of you, whether you voted for me or against me. And I'm going to make sure that you're represented. I'm going to give you hope. We're going to move. We're going to choose science over fiction. We're going to choose hope over fear. We're going to choose to move forward because we have enormous opportunities, enormous opportunities to make things better. We can grow this economy. We can deal with the systemic racism. And at the same time, we can make sure that our economy is being 
run and moved and motivated by clean energy, creating millions of new jobs. And that's the fact. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to say, as I said at the beginning, what is on the ballot here is the character of this country, decency, honor, respect, treating people with dignity, making sure that everyone has an even chance. And I'm going to make sure you get that. You haven't been getting it the last four years. All right. I want to thank you both for a very robust hour and a half, a fantastic debate. Really appreciate it. President Trump, former Vice President Joe Biden, thank you to Belmont University for hosting us tonight. And most importantly, thank you to those watching tonight. Election Day is November 3rd. Don't forget to vote. Thank you, everyone, and have a great night. Thank you. How did you feel? I, I don't know how to feel, Nashua. I don't know how to feel about anything. We just sat through an hour and a half of it together. How yeah. did you feel? <laughs> yeah, no, the whole, the whole thing, uh, you know, it just brings me back to that, that first just stellar line in the debate uh, about how everyone is depressed in America right now. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, I think he hit a nerve because like right when he said that line, I was like, Dawson, <laughs> I, I know we he's both right. texted. We simultaneously text each other. We're like, he's right. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Yeah, oh, man. I don't know. Biden just misses the mark on that. I, I honestly, I think I think I don't think anybody's really tapping into that energy in America right now. And maybe like it comes with like youth because like, you know, under COVID and stuff, like maybe if you're established and like have a family. Um, you just like take pleasure and joy and like having like time to spend with your family, like assuming like the economic conditions are good for you, which is like obviously not presumable, but like as just like a young person who's like charged with just like cultivating a life for myself for like the rest of my life, I honestly, um, like am struggling and everybody I know is like emotionally. And I, I feel like there's a real, a real leadership vacuum on the national stage. Um, it would, and, and, and honestly kind of vacated by Bernie. I think Bernie gave a lot of people hope and I don't know if anyone's going to be able to fill his shoes, but even if it was not a politician, even if it was just like some type of public intellectual or just like inspirational leader, I could use someone to be inspired by again. Um, you know, at that level, not to say that I'm not inspired by anybody. I'm inspired by plenty of people. They're just, um, you know, people in my life. Yeah, I think. Okay, so like, I'm not gonna, sh I'm not gonna pay DHL to ship my ballot after that debate. <laughs> That's my my take. I'm not gonna pay. No, I'm sorry. I, I I was waiting for something decent out of it. But in that in that case, it's not the choice between. Joe Biden and Donald Trump. It's the choice between paying or not paying. <laughs> I would have paid if it was if he if he hadn't like brought up how he fought against you have the to pan. Pay? Wanted, I would have paid to ship my ballot if it would have if he didn't mention the whole if he didn't dunk on socialized medicine, Joe yeah, Biden. Yeah, I guess. What does it cost? I went to DHL. It's gonna cost me sixty bucks. Sixty dollars to vote? What the fuck is the point of absentee voting then? I get 35% back from okay. Dems abroad if I do it. Wild. And and you're and you'd be voting in Florida? I'd be voting in Florida, yeah, in Orange County, Florida. Oh, that might be worth it though. Orlando, Florida. Like I would say no if you were like, oh, I'd be voting in like uh, you know, obviously like New York or something, I'd be like, hell no, keep the money. But like, I don't know. It might be worth it. I don't know. I don't I don't have that much money, but why don't like, they, but like, why don't, why, why, they, why, how can they reimburse you 35% and not a hundred percent? Are they crazy? They should be reimbursing you a hundred percent. They should be reimbursing you 200%. <laughs> Apparently I can send it through Canada post, but then the, 
it might get lost. So they're encouraging DHL. Gotcha. And I went to DHL and they were like, <laughs> okay, this is, this is guaranteed mail and it's fast and you get a signature or whatever, but it's 60 bucks. <laughs> Wild. Um, maybe I'll Canada post it. Well, if you don't get it and you end up not voting, so be it. Yeah. But like, but like, okay, if I felt really inspired after this, I was going to vote tomorrow. Yeah, I hear you. Well, Nashua, we finally got through this uh, 90 minute long debate. Um, I would say that as much fun as it was watching live, it was more fun to recap with uh, you. So I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I think we should uh, close things out with a with a banger. Uh, and of course, I'm referring to uh, this gem from our friend Sarah Palin. Lisa Murkowski, uh, this is my house. This is my house. This is my house. This, this is my house. This is my house. I'm <laughs> willing to give it up. I'm willing to give it up for the greater good of this country. For great sake. You can't find it within yourself to do the right thing this time. Uh, and at least give a fair shake to the Supreme Court nominee that your president will be bringing before you, you would at least consider. If you can't find it within yourself to do the right thing, it's not America's agenda. And doing what the majority of Americans want you to do, to do what you were sent to Washington, D.C. to do, walk back what you've already committed yourself to, and it ends. It's like a poem, kind of. I don't get, she's saying like she's, she's, she's got this house, but she's willing to give it up for the greater good of America, but then doesn't connect to like how confirming Coney Barrett would involve Sarah Palin giving up her house. Also, like, why does she have so much land and like three houses in the video? She, she lives in Alaska, right? Like, she's like, land is, ain't no thing. But I just like, if, if that aside, I don't understand her point. Like, I, I don't know. But honestly, I'm not going to lie. Um, it's entertaining. Sarah Palin is, she's, she's nuts, but also like us giving her, her attention is like, is like it, the only thing she could have possibly been hoping to get from that. Right. So like, but it's too good. It's too funny not to play. So I don't feel bad. We can, we can give Sarah Palin a little limelight to just like play this weird schizophrenic video with like weird editing and like different like fil video filters and stuff. Just like, this is my house. This is my house. This is my house. This is my house. I'm willing to give it up for the great state. If you don't do the right thing and give this judicial nominee a fair shake. And it's like, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't connect any of those fucking concepts. It makes concepts. no sense. Like, <laughs> like how, like giving her, like, what is she doing? Giving her house to like Amy Barrett Cohen's, like Coney's, whatever, ABC's, ACB's, like cult. Like, is that where the house is being donated? Right. Like, who's it being given to? Like the cult? She's going to give it to Lisa Murkowski if she votes for Amy Coney Barrett. Like, does Lisa Murkowski need one of Sarah Palin's three houses so they can hang out all the time? Also, yeah, I mean. I don't know. It's a, it's a fun video. Like, she looks happy. She's having a good time. I'm jealous of her. <laughs> she looks so much happier than the rest of us. She looks so much happier than me, Nashua. Why is she so much happier than me? She's super happy. Like, she's she's doing good. She's getting her pro-life queen confirmed.
These episodes take a small team. Many episodes are hosted by Nashualina Khan solo, political episodes co-hosted by Ryan Deshpande, art and music by Post America, editing and music by Johnny Zapras, production assistance by Raymond Conano. Consider giving to us on Patreon to help fuel our team with chai and other fun things at Patreon forward slash Habibti Please. And find us on Twitter at Habibti Please with a B 